0: Good morning. Glad to see you all. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here. We are going to jump into a book of the Bible for the next four weeks. It's the book of Jonah. And this is an incredible little book in the Old Testament. It's it's really, it's it's a classic story that it feels like everybody knows something about, right? What's what's the story of Jonah about? What's the big thing that sticks out to you? The, the big fish, the whale, whatever you want to call it, okay? Um, and you know, like whether it's As kids, you learn about this in Sunday school. I feel like people who are unchurched know this story because it's like a guy got swallowed by a whale, really. And it's one of those things that people look at and they go, is this for real? And you know, we get enamored by the story because of the big fish, and we gravitate towards the extraordinary and towards the hard to believe. But you know what, the fish is a big part of the story, pun intended, right? It's a big part of the story, but the story's not about the fish. The story's about God. Ultimately, the story is about God's great love and relentless pursuit of sinful people. And this is such an incredible story. It's about God's great love and his relentless pursuit of sinful people, which includes all of us, right? Every single one of us. You know, every story and every book in the Bible points to Jesus. Jesus himself said this on the road to Emmaus, that all of it, every story, every page points to him. And and to the good news of the gospel. And so when we look at the book of Jonah, what is the good news in Jonah? Well, it's exactly what we said, that nobody is beyond God's reach. Nobody is beyond God's reach. Not re- renegade cities, like we'll see, the city of Nineveh. Not rebellious prophets, like we'll see in the person of, of Jonah. Nobody is beyond God's reach. God loves and Pursues sinful people, and this is good news for all of us. Amen. This is what this story is about. So we're going to jump into the book of Jonah. It's 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 four chapters long. Uh, it's it's towards the end of the the Old Testament, and uh, we're going to spend four weeks, a chapter a week, in the book of Jonah. And I think there's some incredible things that we can learn here. There's a lot of little things that you'll be able to see or learn or pick up on through the story, in particular this chapter, chapter number one, I want to point out a couple big kind of applications for us as we get towards the end of uh, chapter one, as we see this story kind of develop. So let's jump into Jonah chapter one, starting in verse number one. It says this, "...now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying..." And I want to pause right there, because the first question is, well, who is this guy, Jonah? The word of the Lord's coming to him. So who is Jonah? Jonah was a prophet to the, the 10 northern tribes of Israel during the reign of a king named Jeroboam II. And so he was a prophet. A prophet was a, a man of God, um, a spokesperson for God. So to prophesy was to speak forth the truth of God. So God would, would raise up these prophets to kind of deliver his truth to a person or a group of people or to a nation, And they would speak forth the truth. And often what that entailed was to warn them of of God's judgment and to turn them back towards the Lord. And so God calls this this prophet named Jonah, verse number two, here's what he, he instructs him to do. He says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So God calls Jonah. He says, I want you to go to the people of Nineveh. We'll talk more about the city called Nineveh in a moment. But he says, I want you to go and call out against that city. What he's telling them to do is what he would instruct prophets to do go preach to them, go, uh, go warn them that judgment is coming. And he would preach repentance. And, you know, let me, let me stop there, because sometimes we think of a preacher or a prophet as, like, it's all doomsday, hellfire, brimstone, turn or burn, and it's, like, this message of, of judgment and wrath. And while that's part of it, that because of our sinfulness, there is judgment and wrath coming, it's ultimately a message of grace, because the message is that if you would turn from your, your ways, your wicked ways, man, God is is ready and willing to forgive you. And so, man, turn while, while there's an opportunity because God wants you to turn to him. And so he instructs him to go to Nineveh, call out against it for their evil has come up before me. And verse number three, let's, let's move right along here. So Jonah says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it, into the ship, to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And so God instructs him, go to the people of Nineveh, call out against it, preach repentance to them. And we don't see, we don't see an immediate like verbal response from Jonah. But we see a physical one. What did he do? He ran away, right? He ran the other way. He tries to escape God's presence. Spoiler alert, you can't. You can't escape the presence of God. But he tries to get as far away as possible. And so he he heads in the opposite direction. He heads in the opposite direction. So Nineveh was, was east. Let me just talk about geography. Nineveh was east of Israel, where Jonah would have been but Tarshish is about as far west as he could have gone. It, it was on the coast of what we would know as modern day Spain. So it, it would have also cost him to get on the ship. It says he paid the fare to get on the ship to go to Tarshish. That would have cost him a, a good sum of money. All right, so this wasn't your typical, wanna get away, Southwest Airlines, you know, $39 fare. This was a costly amount. This was a costly decision on the part of Jonah in more ways than one. This, he, was, he was running from the presence of the Lord. He, he was trying to escape from this instruction that he had given to him. So here, here's a question before we even move on as we look at, at, at Jonah here. God gives him instruction. He runs the other way. The question is this. Why did Jonah resist God's call? why did Jonah say Mm-mm, I'm I'm going far far away well there's a couple reasons why that we can kind of speculate why he he might have run away from God's call one maybe because it was a difficult assignment right this was just going to be a hard job to pull off so speaking about Nineveh Nineveh was a gentile city and in, in it was the capital of Assyria a, a gentile nation all right so kind of in God's economy, you have the Jews, people of God, Israel, and then you have Gentiles, which were non-Jews. And a lot of times this was like they were one against the other. And so this was a a Gentile city and the capital of this nation of Assyria. And according to James Bruckner, a theologian, he said this, the Assyrian kings were proud of their cruel and terrible reputation and went to great trouble and expense to record their exploits for posterity. In other words, this was a wicked nation, and they loved to flaunt it. All right, Some of the cruelty at the hands of the Assyrians would include torture and dismemberment and pain and shame of their victims. And so as Jonah is considering this assignment, maybe, man, this, he knew. Okay, at the least, I'm going to experience ridicule and mockery. At worst, man, I may be tortured and, and killed. And so maybe he resisted because it was going to be a difficult assignment. But maybe another reason is because of his, just his pure hatred for the Assyrian people. He just hated these people and who they were. According to uh, David Guzik, who was another theologian, he said this. This is a good comparison, I think, for us to understand It was also because Jonah didn't want the Assyrians in Nineveh to escape God's judgment. Imagine a Jewish man in New York during World War II, hearing God say to him, I'm going to bring terrible judgment on Germany. So I want you to go to Berlin and tell Nazi Germany to repent. And so instead of doing that, the man heads for San Francisco, then heads on a boat for Hong Kong. All right, so that's kind of the the mentality. Like he did not like the Assyrian people. He hated them. He didn't want them to escape God's judgment, all right? It would be like if, if God told me as a, as a man from Ohio, hey, I want you to go and, and pastor a church in Michigan. I'd be like, no, I'm going to South Carolina, all right? I am not going there. Some of you won't get that, but uh, man, I don't want them to escape. Save them from their, I don't want you to save them from their, their wicked ways, but this is, this is the mentality of Jonah. Maybe it was because, man, he just didn't like the Assyrian people. And, and both of these, these reasons are, are valid, but, but it actually had more to do with the latter, that second reason. And we don't see this actually revealed a- until the end of the book. In Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, I'm going to read this verse to you. It's a, it's a, it's a theme verse of sorts for this, this book of Jonah. We'll come back to it each week. This is Jonah speaking to the Lord, and he says, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This or that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. This is why I ran away so quickly, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah said, I didn't want to go. Because I know you, God. I know that you're good. And I know that you're gracious and merciful. And I know you're compassionate. And I know you're forgiving. And those people, they're not deserving. Have you ever thought that about somebody or a group of people? Man, that person, that family, that, that group of people, they're not worthy. They're not deserving of God's grace. I'll confess, I've, I've thought that before. Like, I don't does that person really deserve God's grace and forgiveness? What they've done is so wicked or it's offended me so badly. I don't think they deserve it. Man, how self-righteous of us or of me, of Jonah, to say they don't deserve God's grace. But I do. And that's what Jonah was was saying here. And, And what we see in this is I mean, we see the gospel here that God wants to forgive. In fact, God sent Jesus on a rescue mission for us because he he wanted to save us from our sin. But the reality is that none are deserving. Amen? Not even Jonah. Not even me. Not even you. And yet, despite Nineveh's reputation as a renegade city, God still considered them worthy of his message and of his grace. And so he calls Jonah and instructs him to do this. Jonah runs the other way. Let's, let's see what, what happens here in the story, verse number four through six. So Jonah's running. He's, a, he's boarded this ship for Tarshish. Verse number four, it says this, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners, the sailors, were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. This sounds like my wife in the middle of, she can sleep through anything, right? Um, Verse number six. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? And I could think of a lot worse, you know, names to call them, but you sleeper, why are you sleeping? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And so the Lord brings this storm as, not as an act of judgment, not as a means of punishment, but as an act of grace. He's trying to redirect Jonah and and just a heads up, sometimes this is how God works in our lives. Sometimes he uses storms to redirect us, to, to get our focus back on him. And, and he does this with Jonah. And you know, the poor sailors in this story, man, they're freaked out of their minds by the storm. And they're just, honestly, they're collateral damage to one bad decision by Jonah, which is not unlike our lives. that. That the people around us, the people closest to us, are always affected by our decisions, whether for good or for, for bad. And these sailors, man they're threatened with the, I mean the loss of their cargo, their ship, even their very lives. And you know we see what we see normally in people is in a moment of fear, in a moment of despair, everyone is running to their own God, whatever their God is, whether it's the God of heaven and earth, the God of the Bible, or it's a, a God of our own making. Maybe it's, maybe it's to the refrigerator or to the bar or to a substance or to, a, to sexual sin or whatever it is. They're all calling out and trying to find rescue from their own God and they come to Jonah and say, hey, you sleeper, you're, you're the only one that hasn't called out to your God. Maybe your God will respond and, and, and think of us and save us because our gods aren't doing anything right now. Our our gods are doing squat, so maybe your god will save us. And so cry out to your god. Uh, verse number seven. Let's let's keep going with the story. And it says they said to one another, "Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us." So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, "Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country?" And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them and so it starts out by telling us that these, these sailors, they cast lots. And this is a, an act that we see kind of throughout the scriptures. We don't know a lot about this, this whole method of casting lots. Whenever I think about it, I think of it like it's kind of this way of like rolling the dice or flipping a coin or drawing straws. And you kind of think, well, this is kind of bizarre that God would allow this in the Bible. But, but he never forbid it. In fact, he would often reveal his will through this action of casting lots. And he did in this case where Jonah is the one who is discovered as the culprit. He is the one who has brought this storm upon the boat. His identity has come out. He said, I'm I'm a Hebrew. I fear the God of of heaven. And and, and so he is discovered here. See what happens next. Verse number 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Jonah said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And so what you see here is the sailors, they're, again, they're freaking out. And they're saying, what have you done to us? Why have you dragged us into this? You're running from the Lord, and now we're victim of your decision. And so what what should we do? And I want you, you heard it, you saw it. Jonah gives a very clear way for the crew to be delivered from the storm of judgment. Did you catch it? Very clearly, he says this, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. All right, there's a lot of hurling going on here. The Lord has hurled a wind, sto- a storm onto the sea and the sailors, it says, are hurling things overboard and they're probably all hurling their cookies right now because of the storm. And, and Jonah says, here's the way out. Here's the way of escape. Here's the way to, to be delivered from the storm of judgment. Throw me overboard. Throw me overboard. Very clear, right? very clear one instruction i know it's because of me toss me over but what do they do look at the very next word verse number 13 nevertheless all right nevertheless the men rowed hard to get back to dry land but they could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them here's the, here's the way of delivery Toss me overboard. Nevertheless, what did they do? <laughs> like harder and harder. They're rowing. They're trying to get out of the storm. They're trying to get to dry land. Now, like, I understand there's some really good intentions here. Like maybe it was self-serving. Maybe they were like, you know what? This is a prophet of God. And if we pitch him into the sea, what, what is God going to do to us then? But then I think there's just this human part of them that is saying, well, like, if we throw you into the sea, you're going to die. And we don't, want, we don't want this. We don't want to be guilty of this. And so what did they do? It says, nevertheless, they rode harder. They kept rowing to get back to dry land. So there was great intentions here. But you know what they realized? They were powerless. They were powerless to save themselves from the storm. Good intentions good intentions, but what they were doing was they were resisting God's very means of deliverance for them. They they were trying to do something good. They were trying not to kill Jonah, but with these good intentions, man, they were resisting God's clearly revealed means of deliverance. And y'all, this is so, so deeply ingrained within the human heart within every single one of us to depend on our own resources and our own strength and our own wisdom, to, to try harder, to row harder, to get ourselves out of our, our mess. And here's the first big lesson that I want to mention for us today that we can't miss from this story. And it's this, you can't save yourself. You cannot save your Self, from yourself, from your sin, from your brokenness, from your mess. You can do this all day long. You can row and row and row. And the harder you row, the more you will find that the storm and the winds will grow stronger and stronger and more tempestuous. Because you and I weren't made with the strength to row ourselves out of our mess, to save ourselves You'll never be able to row hard enough. While we all have traces of, of goodness within us because we were created in the image of God, man, our, we have a sinful nature and we are all by nature deeply broken sinners. And because of that, because of that, we are subject to the wrath and the judgment of a holy, perfect God. And we are all in need of rescue but we can't save ourselves. Listen now. Salvation comes through the sacrifice of one who was willing to be thrown into the storm of God's judgment for you. And that was the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Sacrifice comes through the sacrifice of one who was willing to be thrown into the storm of God's judgment for you and for me. This is what we call the gospel. The fact that we could not save ourselves, that we could not row hard enough, we could not be good enough, do enough good things to save ourselves. We need an outside source, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ Listen, God wants your heart, not all your self effort. He wants your heart. This is the gospel. And this realization for the sailors, this was the turning point for them. This is always the turning point. Look at verse number 13 again. It says, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, therefore, because they realized they couldn't make it back. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. "O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. This is, this is the turning point for them. And this is always the turning point, this, this point of desperation where we, we're, we're rowing and we're trying and we're trying, but we come to the end of ourselves and we realize... Nothing I do, nothing I try is going to get me out of this. And it's a point of desperation. It's a point of willing to bank for the sailors. They were willing to bank their very lives on the sacrifice of this, this one man. And for us to experience salvation, for us to experience freedom, the, the life that God designed for us, it's going to, it's going to the, the turning point for every single one of us is when we come to the end of ourselves, we come to a point of desperation, we're willing to bank our very lives on the sacrifice of this one man, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the turning point, And this is the point in the story where it turns for the sailors. And so in verse 15, here's, here's what you see them do. It says they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. And so what you see is as soon as they obey, as soon as they, as as they tossed old Jonah overboard, it says that the storm ended immediately. And so what happens is, is when the storm ends, it immediately, it, it immediately proves that Jonah's God was the one true real God. Right? He's the only one who acted. He is the only one. He was, if you saw back in um, verse number, I'm going to, this won't be on the screen, but when, when Jonah revealed himself, he said, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He is the God of the sea, and he's proven it because he stopped the storm. And so when the storm ended, it proved Jonah's God was for real, and it caused the sailors to turn their fear away from the storm and onto the Lord, who is the God of the storm, who is the one who made the sea, who is the one who speaks to the storm and says, peace, be still. It proved that his God was for real and it, it turned their fear away from the circumstances around them and it turned their fear to the Lord And then in verse number 17, the last verse of of this chapter, it says this, And the Lord appointed a great fish. Pay attention to that word. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And that's the end of chapter one. And if we were back in the old days and you were watching like a show on TV, this was like an old school like cliffhanger. Okay, we don't understand that anymore because we have Netflix and you can just like jump to the next episode. But there was like this cliffhanger at the end of chapter one where it's like, okay, Jonah's tossed overboard. He sinks to the bottom and then a big fish comes and swallows him. End of episode. You got to wait till next week to see the conclusion. You're like, what? It just went from like difficult to really strange, like even weirder. What happened? And now you have to wait till next week to see the conclusion. We'll, We'll talk more about verse 17 uh, next week and moving forward in chapter 2. But I want you to see that word, that phrase, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. So that word appointed, it, it, it was tra- it's was it been translated in other translations of the Bible as prepared or provided or arranged. And, and so the idea here is it's not that you know Jonah got tossed overboard and then hey just out of nowhere here comes this big old fish that just is like it's lunchtime and he just happens to see this big old piece of meat and he swallows up Jonah all right this is not the story god appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah in other words god sovereignly appointed god sovereign, sovereignly prepared the fish to rescue Jonah. Now, you know, a lot of people in the story of Jonah, they would balk at the idea of this this big fish. And it's never identified as a a whale, but we we understand it as, you know, it's a big fish. It's big enough to swallow a guy and have him in his belly for three days. But some people have a hard time thinking, okay, could a human being like, survive in the belly of a fish for three days. And we get, like, is that, could that really happen? Here's what I think is more wild than Jonah being swallowed by a fish, is the fact that God prepared a fish way in advance to come and to rescue him. So in my mind, again, I'm going to, like, a TV show, or, like, it's this, like, flashback montage. And I think of, like, and I literally Googled, okay, how are fish born? I I don't know if I've ever thought about this. Really interesting stuff about the life cycle of a fish, all right? But you have this whole like group of eggs that are, you know, floating. The female has dispensed them, whatever you want to say, and a male comes by and fertilizes, and many of these eggs will be like swallowed up. They're not going to survive because other creatures will come by, but You know, if if these eggs survive, they they hatch, they're these larvae, these baby baby fish, and then they they grow, and if they survive, they'll become I don't know if they go through you know adolescence. I don't know. I didn't go that deep into it, but they become you know fish. So I'm imagining the story, I'm imagining, you know, this uh, you know backstory of this this egg that survives and grows and it grows into a you know this baby fish and this you know this adult fish and this And all along the way, from the very beginning, God has appointed, like he set up this appointment for this one fish to grow into this great fish that is at this moment in history is going to come and rescue Jonah. I'm like blown away that God would have like have such control over everything that he would ordain and arrange for this fish to come and rescue Jonah. So here is here's the second big application that, that I want to I bring to us this morning: is this you can run from God, but you can't outrun God. You can run from God. You can run from his purposes. You can run from the church. You can run as far away as you want to try to run. But you can never ever outrun God. Again, we see the gospel on display here. That God loves and pursues us. That you can run, but you can't what? You can't hide. You can't get away from him. His love is active and it always is moving towards you in pursuit of you. God will hurl a great wind upon the sea to redirect you and draw you back to himself if he must. But he's going to keep pursuing you. And he's like, again, think of this. He has appointed things. And some of you could look back at the story of your life and go, oh my goodness, where would I be if God hadn't brought this person or if God hadn't forced me to, experience this or to fight through or struggle through this, where would I be? It's because God will appoint things in your life and in my life, and he will arrange things in our lives in order to bring us and to turn us back to him. He will even go back. I don't even know how, I don't know how long, I should have figured out how long is the life cycle of a fish. I don't know, but he will go back years and years or Months and months or however long it takes to appoint things in order to rescue you and me. To get our attention and to bring us back to him. You know, for some, maybe for you, maybe for someone listening this morning or someone that turns this on in days or weeks or months from now. Maybe this is a divine appointment of God trying to say, I'm coming after you. You can run but you can't hide. I see you and I'm aware of you and I love you and I'm still coming after you. And so this story, the story of Jonah, it's a story of, again, God's great love and his relentless pursuit of sinful people. Rebellious prophets like Jonah, renegade cities like Nineveh, And real people like you and like me. This is our story, amen? This is a story of a God who loves us and pursues us. We run and we rebel and we go our own way and we strive in our own strength. Here's the lesson from from Jonah Stop running from him, turn and run to him because he's there and he's coming for you and he loves you. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your relentless love that never gives up on us. Lord, I see the sin of the city of Nineveh. I see Um, the great wickedness of that city. And yet at the same time, I see the self-righteous sin of Jonah who said that those people don't deserve your grace because Jonah didn't deserve it either and I don't deserve it either. God, help us in our self-righteousness and help us in our our wandering and help us in our running help us to realize that you are a God who pursues us. You are a God who pursues us when we run far away from you, when we sin blatantly, when we turn our our back on you. And God you run after us when we think we're good and when we think we're righteous and we think we're deserving of your grace and we forget that we're not and that's the reason you came because we could never save ourselves we could never row hard enough and so God thank you for the story of Jonah thank you that his story is our story whether we're part of the city of Nineveh or whether we're the rebellious one who is self-righteous God thank you that you pursue sinful people Thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you for a love that is greater than all of our sin. God, we worship you today because you are that kind of a God. And so for the one today who, maybe this is a divine appointment, maybe this is a moment where you have arranged for someone to hear story of Jonah so that you could come face to face with him. God, I pray that this would be a day that they would turn away from their own rowing and their own ways and they would turn in desperation to you. God, may all of us, may every single one of us, may we turn to you in that kind of desperation today because of the goodness of your grace. We pray this in Jesus' good and glorious name. Amen.